everyone. Welcome to this lecture. So why well, once again have the opportunity to interview somebody and today it's Dr. Terry Ord. Hello. How's it going, Terry? Pretty good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So we've just done a whole bunch of your lectures actually. And now we get to chat a little bit, which is kind of nice just before lunch. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, I think it's, a, it's good timing. Yeah. It works well that way. So what I want to say about Terry really quickly is Terry has been doing some really, really awesome research on lizards and these crazy fish that also live out of water. Is That's that true. Yeah. yeah. Amphibious fish. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes no sense to me, which I guess is kind of what we always think about when we think about evolution, these fish kind of crawling yeah, that's right. from rocks, which are really neat. Yep. So but we're not going to talk about those, are no, we? No, we're not. Oh, which is, I'm sure everyone's going to be disappointed about that. Are we going to talk about some research and some of the yeah, research okay. is going to be mine? But good, yeah. good. Yeah. Good. Uh, excellent. Well, at least they'll get a little bit of fill and then maybe if they want to work with you, they can come back and uh, ask you some more questions. Yeah, absolutely. Point. So the point yeah. is, is that the, the stuff that I do mm. is very, it's all over the place. There's all yeah. sorts of different types of things, evolution, behavioral ecology and community ecology, which is what we're going to talk about. Today. Yeah, which is perfect. Yeah. So in the background, so if you're listening at home, then you won't see this background, but it's okay. It's a background with a bunch of mangroves on yeah. there and some dudes working on these mangroves. But we won't worry about the dudes working on the mangroves. I want you to tell me why these mangroves are so kind of interesting. Okay, so this is a classic experiment mm. that was done in the 70s. Um, and the idea was is that um, the mangroves forming basically um, islands off the main mangrove, which was on the mainland. So these so little habitats. Yeah, yeah okay. and they're, they're effectively little islands in themselves. Yeah, okay. And they're okay. still mangroves. Yep. Um, and there are different spaces from that main mangrove on the mainland. Right. And like in a big line or just like in all kinds of... Oh, just different, anywhere. Different, different patches. Yeah, right? okay, yeah. okay. And so what they did is um, they went on to these different patches, yep, yep. habitat patches, uh, these habitat islands. Right. Um, and they counted all the insects that they could find on right. the island. Right, okay. Yeah. That's a hard job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> small. But it would take them weeks. Yeah, right? okay. And okay. so they would go out, spend a few weeks counting yep. everything on these uh, habitat islands and finding, well, okay, so there's large numbers of species on this one, right. large, fewer species on this one. Right, okay. And they were only interested in absolute numbers. It wasn't the particular types of species or anything. Right, like okay. So they didn't care what, which, which kind of flies or mosquitoes or no. spiders. They're just no. like, let's count everything that's there. Absolutely. Okay. All right. And so they did that and then they did an experimental manipulation. This is the really cool bit. They actually yep. built a scaffolding around these man uh, mangrove islands. All right. Um, and in the you, water, no less. In the water, yeah. So if you can see the image okay. on your screen, if you are actually watching it via video, you'll see yep. um, this kind of big sack, plastic sack that you <laughs> put over this mangrove. Right. Um, and then what they did is they fumigated it. So they killed everything. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, that's what you do in the 70s. Right? Yeah, you could do anything you wanted back then. Yeah, it wasn't an issue. And so the idea is, is that they were trying to set it to ground zero. Right. To put it to, you know, just what? put everything to the same starting point, zero. Yeah. So this is the time when the mangrove kind of first arrived. Yep. And let's see what happens. So what they found was, right. Right. they go back um, several times over a period of about two years. Wow. Again, yeah. all they're doing is just counting the number of species. When they first go back out after the, yeah, okay, the fumigation, okay. it was easy because there was hardly anything there. Makes sense. Uh, and then those populations and the diversity of species progressively increased over time. Right. But the thing I want to point out to you is that the number of species 
on these um, mangrove islands differed. Some were really rich, lots of different invertebrate right. species. Okay. And there were a handful that were pretty species poor. They would all eventually get back to what their right. original numbers were after the fumigation. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And what they found was is that the nearer habitat or the nearer mangroves right. to the mangrove habitat on the mainland would have the most species. And right. the okay. little mangrove islands out further away right. had the fewest number of species. So it was associated both with the distance from that mainland mangrove and also the size of the island as well? Well, they were only looking at distance in this okay. particular experiment. Okay. But yes, so the idea would be um, the size might actually uh, matter as well. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just oh, a moment. Oh, cool. Good. Okay. So we're, we're getting these differences based on habitat isolation. So right. how isolated a habitat is from its potential source. Right. So things are just dispersing, you know, insects, ants, flies, spiders, everything disperses to a, some degree, to a large or a lesser yep. degree. Yeah, fair enough. So the closest you are to the source population, the more likely stuff's just going to get there by chance. Oh, it's just easier to get there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. It's, it's really simple. And the further away it is, the more isolated it is, yep, yep. the less chance stuff just gets to it. And, and that's all we're looking at right here. Yeah, okay. So now this could be stuff that is blown onto that mangrove, Absolutely, right? yeah. It, it could it be stuff that's floating on a piece of driftwood or something. So essentially what you're saying is just because it's closer, there's just a bigger chance of things landing on yeah. it. Yeah. So chance right. plays a big role in where species just end up. And it yeah, plays okay. a big role in the commu how communities are formed. Oh, I see. Now you... So is it also possible that the order of these things coming to the these mangrove islands could change yeah. what's there? It's really, we, we won't get into the details of that, but you can imagine if you're a predator mm. and you just randomly get onto a, an isolated habitat patch. Sure, yeah, yeah. There's nothing to eat. Yeah. You're not going to do well. In fact, you're, you're, you're like, <laughs> likely to go likely extinct. Right, so right. There, you do, there are interactions between those species that are actually right. important. Okay. Um, so if you're a predator, you need to have prey. Of course. To be able to colonize a new habitat project sure. or yep, an yep. island. And if that prey is not there, then you just can't exist. So yeah. there are there does tend to be stages of, yeah, okay. of lower trophic levels colonizing first. Cool. And yep. then higher trophic levels coming, coming later. Effect. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because they need something to eat, like you said. Yeah, all right. But you cool. mentioned habitat size. Yeah, yeah. Area. So yeah. let's just um, discuss this a little bit cool, more. Cool, yes. Oh, now, this go. is an yep. experiment that I did. It actually started oh, cool. out as an honours project. So, case in point, if you are thinking about honours, there are lots of different projects that you could do. Was it, wait a second, this is you as an honours student? Not as me okay. as an honours student. It was a while <laughs> okay, ago. Okay. Not that while ago. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so the idea here is, is uh, we're not dealing with mangroves out right. in the ocean. We're dealing with rock islands and the ocean is cow paddock. So, it's pasture. Right. We call it the grass matrix to make it a little bit more fancy. All right, very, very fancy. So fancy. rocks of, you know, these rock islands, um, yep. and we created them de novo, which basically means we created them from scratch. Right. And we put them at different distances from a source remnant bushland. So right, this is okay. just eucalyptus, sclerophyll. Yeah, okay, okay. Nothing special there. Different distances, close and far. But the rock islands themselves mm. were different sizes. We had small ones. Right, okay. And we had big ones. Right. And so that was the experiment. We, we were interested to see if we could replicate that mangrove experiment yeah, yeah. in a terrestrial setting and investigate this habitat area. 
So, yeah, I, yeah. so uh, should I expect that there's going to be bags of things and fumigation happening in this experiment? No, so there's nothing. <laughs> so, so because we're creating them de novo, right. from scratch, and we were very careful about where we got um, our rocks from, and we right. put dead wood on there. Um, we find that there is going to be community okay. coming along with the dead wood, right? To some extent, uh, with the rocks themselves. Sure, that makes but sense. But it's not a complete, right? Reset like it was yep. for the mangrove. Yeah, experiment. yeah, okay, okay. Anyway, so cool. We set this up, and the idea was to see what invertebrates and small invertebrates, in terms of lizards, right? Maybe even snakes, um, getting onto these islands, and how long it would take them to get onto these islands. I had a feeling that it'd have to be some kind of snake. Or lizard involved because I haven't heard you just working on on no. inverts yet, so I, I wonder where that was coming in. So we have a lot of legless lizards. Yes, which are I only heard about recently, lizards. which is crazy. Yeah. They're worms. Yeah, or snakes. They look like little snakes. And yeah. They're fantastic. They do occur eventually on these islands. So here's cool. an example of yeah. Uh, oh. If you if you see it home, yep. The big versus the small. We're talking about maybe twice or three times yeah, the size. It's, it's literally twice the size. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. There we go. Um, came back, surveyed, just like they did right. in the mangroves. And what we see oh, is... I'm going to move out of the way here if people want to look in the... Yeah, there we go. There yeah, we okay. biodiversity. Um, we find that it chops around a bit. Yep. And after about a year, it settles down. And then the chart in the background is right. what happens after a year and a year and a half. Um, and we find that the nearer islands yeah, yeah. Um, have uh, greater species richness. Uh, compared to the distant islands. Yep. But also um, the larger islands have greater species diversity as well. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. Because if you're going to throw a rock at an island and one's twice the size, you're more likely to hit the bigger one. Yep. That's Just by chance right. alone. Yep. Yeah. So to some extent, you could compensate mm. for isolation by having a big habitat fragment. Right. Um, yeah, okay, okay. So that's a still, it's a really interesting question that, yeah. that a lot of ecologists are, are still trying to get the handle on. Because a lot of this actually has related to how do you conserve habitat fragments sure. with roads going through and of course. urbanization and all that sort of stuff. So although we started off talking about oceanic islands, yep. we're now sort of talking about all sorts of implications relating to conservation yep, and yep, preservation sure. of existing habitat fragments. So I, I know that this study didn't do what I'm going to ask, but it kind of makes me wonder... Does the shape of that island potentially make a difference as well? Yeah, so that's a really interesting idea. So the edge, the habitat right. edge. So you're going to have a, a forest that's a, it's a fragment. Yep. Um, but the edge of that, how long that edge, it depends on how, whether it's like rectangular, you'll right. have greater edge. If it's circular, sure. you will have the least amount of edge. Makes sense. Yep. When you go into a forest, you'll see that um, you, you're going for a transition mm. habitat, a lot less uh, vegetation, a lot more light, and you get the edges. Yeah, so the environment on the edges of habitat islands, um, and this is true to some extent with oceanic islands, sure. is actually quite different. And then you get into the center of it, and then you have the communities that are specialist right. in full shade forest, for example. So there's a possibility of different organisms taking, uh, making their home in different parts of Absolutely. that that big habitat fragment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. The other thing you, you should also be aware is not mm. just, you know, you're throwing a rock in a big air target, you're more likely to get it. But of course, a larger habitat has more resources in it to support sure. more species. Of course, that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's okay. another thing to take, take away from this particular experiment as well. Right, because there's just more plants there. That means there's more primary producers. I mean, yeah. more food to eat. 
then if that's colonized by more organisms, that means predators can come in and there's more for them to eat. Yep, exactly. Right. So, so, yeah, okay. Anyway, so this experiment, yep. we're still running now. It's been it's oh, cool. one of the longest field experiments. I think it's going on seven years now. No way. I didn't yeah, know that. So that's we're, awesome. We're only looking at the first year here, but um, all sorts of uh, interactions between trophic levels that you sure. talked about. You've got to have lower trophic levels come first, yeah. higher trophic levels afterwards. And all sorts of other things like trophic cascades. What happens if you That's take awesome. a top predator away? In this case, it's lizards feeding on right, spiders. Right, right. Spiders feeding on flies and all sorts of other stuff. You take the top predator away, what happens to the competitive yeah. dynamics on that island? So this is all stuff that we cover in the course. Oh, that's very cool. I didn't know you were still doing that. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's a great data set. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. It's a big data set and it requires a lot of effort to count everything. Sure. But it's not as bad as mangroves. Yeah. You're not building scaffolding in the middle of an ocean, essentially. <laughs> the video. You gotta have it and yeah, you gotta have a lot of resources to be able to do that. Whereas sure. doing a, a rock island yeah, yeah. cow pack is a little bit more tractable. Oh, plus you get to see legless snakes, which is always yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, All right. Awesome. That's very cool. The other thing I wanna mention yeah. is so that's chance, right? Sure. So isolation and habitat area determining where the stuff just gets there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a look at this. What's what have we got on the screen here? Well, we've got uh, a a planet that shows the Arctic and the Antarctic. So we've got, you know, both cold ends of the earth, yep. right? And we've got these lazy polar bears just kind of hanging around, which is surprising that there's three, I can only assume male polar bears there. I'm surprised they're not trying to kill each other. Yeah, there must be, I don't know. I don't know, photographers, I don't know how they'd get this stuff kind of done. But, you know, we've got the top and we've got the bottom. And obviously, if we go back to that whole idea of connectedness, they're completely unconnected. Yeah. Right, on the opposite sides of the world. Yeah. So, what is that? Well, the question I have for you, though, yeah. you get polar bears in sure. the Arctic, which yeah. is on the north. You don't get polar bears in Antarctica. Yeah. So Absolutely, which but, I'm know, sure a lot bears, of researchers are happy about. Well, that's right. You know, yeah. I mean, these, these are pretty large and dangerous animals. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you don't want to come across them in a no. blizzard, that's for sure. No, anyway, no. Anyway, so they're, they're, yeah. they should be able to be in Antarctica. Sure. It's the same type of environment. Yeah, um, these polar bears are adapted to that type of environment. Absolutely. Why aren't they there? And the answer to that question is again, it's partly on chance, right? And it's on interaction with history. Polar bears, as it turned out, mm. uh, evolved from brown bears. Now, brown okay. bears are all the way through the Arctic zone, but right. they're not in uh, Antarctica. Yeah, yeah, okay. So then you have brown bears invading um, the Arctic, and right? And Selection on them, essentially, yeah, yeah. Evolving into new species, which is the polar bear. Right. Whereas that opportunity hasn't had happened down in the South Pole. Just because we didn't have brown bears in the Southern Absolutely. Hemisphere, or any bears, for that matter. And the other thing is, is that yeah. polar bears have just not had the opportunity to disperse down to the South. Sure. Perhaps yeah. if plate tectonics kept moving and yeah, you know, yeah. we don't destroy the planet before then. Probably not. Perhaps, but... you know, well... <laughs> through the next great ice age, perhaps yeah. there'll be a land bridge and they will get there in the end. But for the moment, the reason why they're not there is because yep. of the interaction of chance and, and history. Sure, right, so taking in the evolutionary history of how organisms or different species have evolved can actually give us an idea of why they are where they are. Absolutely, yeah, so this, okay. is the, this is the wonderful nexus of evolutionary biology yep. and community ecology. Right, yeah, so once again, really shows quite nicely that those two things aren't separate in yeah. any kind of way. No, no, no. You really have to kind of explore one to really understand the other. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yep. So 
getting to this idea of, well, polar bears, they're adapted. They should be able to occur in the, uh, the Arctic. Yeah. So things are adapted to a particular niche, and we call this a fundamental niche. Now, that niche right. maybe they feed across a certain range of foods or they like hanging out in environments of a particular temperature or, or light, light or light or whatever like yeah, yeah. And all sorts of different things. that habitat just kind of provides them with the things that they need to survive yeah, absolutely yeah okay so where a species could exist yeah. is what we call the fundamental niche where it actually exists is what we call the realized right. niche. so there's okay so although polar bears should be down in the arctic uh, Antarctic, they're, they're not. not. Yeah. The realized niche is up in the polar regions right. of the Arctic Circle, and this is there um, because of history. Right. Uh, but it could also be chance, but right. it could also be competition between species, perhaps right. moving into a particular area that you're suited to because it's your right temperature, right, right, light, right. right food. But there's already an ecologically and similar species there. Just out uncompeted. Yeah. Yeah, you, okay. You know, you can't sort of move into somebody else's house, right? It has to be empty. <laughs> well, it's not. It's frowned upon, generally yeah, speaking, yeah. I think, in human societies, at least. <laughs> so, fundamental versus right. realized niche. So, this is something that we should be aware of when we're just trying to decipher why species are where they are. So, a realized niche is always smaller than a fundamental niche. Yes. Because a fundamental niche encompasses every single potential habit or area that's habitable for that organism. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a realized niche is then where they actually are. Yep. Okay. All right. Makes sense. And we'll explore this with an example. All right. All right. You come prepared, my friend. What is that? Oh, hold on a second. That is clearly a dude in a costume <laughs> that looks like a Sasquatch. Sasquatch? Yeah, yeah. It's Bigfoot. <laughs> All right, we're in <laughs> Australia. We call it the Yowie. That's there's another. What's another name? Isn't there? Well, the Yeti, which yes, is the Yeti. up in the, in the, in the Himalayas. Yeah, Himalayas. Right, right, right. And they all have the same fundamental phenotype of right. looking like a dude in the suit. Yes. Now, you're Canadian, so yes. you know, in North America, in the United States of America in particular, they've kept a database. <laughs> Of course oh, they Bigfoot have. sightings. This is, I think yeah, this yeah. is by the National Park Service. Of course they so have. what we have here is a map on the screen. Here. Right. California, Oregon, and I think Washington, my geography is not too good, but. Yes. Yeah. So. Essentially along the West Coast. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so where people have reported to say, oh, I saw Bigfoot. And they yeah. go to the National Park Ranges and go, oh, I saw Bigfoot. And then yeah. they record where they saw. Right. Now. Fundamental versus realized niche, right? You can actually yeah. use where you know species have been sighted right. to then model what their fundamental niche could be or should be based on the climactic variation right. and habitat and all that sort of stuff. You're using science now to answer yeah, the so Sasquatch. This is a fun example, okay. but there's an illustration yeah, yeah. here. So they use, these researchers use these sightings to model the fundamental niche right. of Bigfoot. Right. And what they found was, awesome. is it's mountainous areas, particularly the Sierras. And right. you'll see, if you're looking on the video, the top um, uh, photograph off to the side there is showing the fundamental niche of Bigfoot. Which is essentially, it, for those of you who are maybe just listening, it's essentially the west coast of the U.S. Kind of goes in a little bit into Canada, kind of starts moving a little bit into California, but it's largely 
the mid kind of west. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It voids okay. the Central Valley like the plague. Yeah. And there's all sorts of reasons why that would be. But presumably it's because it's very dry and hot and very different environment sure. to where it's like in the more alpine like Sierras. And of course, you know, Bigfoot's got all this fur, so he can't obviously no, live in, yeah, the, yeah. in the center of the years where it's boiling hot. So obviously he's hitting the coast. Plus it's all taken up with strip malls these days. Yeah. So. <laughs> If they, you know, like fast food, it would be okay. Yeah, now, yeah. the other thing that the researchers did is they also mapped the fundamental niche for the brown bear. Right. Exact same location. So, again, the National Park Service are also recording this because bears are a problem uh, sure. in, in on the West Coast because um, they're going through people's food when they're camping and things like that. So, and you want to know where they are, so you yeah. want to tell people that where they need to be safe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So they modeled the fundamental niche of the brown bear. Right, right, and right. And they compared it to Bigfoot. Right. And they found that the distribution is identical. <laughs> like literally almost right on top of it. Right on top of it. Yes. Yeah. So unfortunately, for those of you who are hoping <laughs> the story was going to say that the Sasquatch is actually real. You're right. Um, Mike is right. It's a dude in the suit. <laughs> it's a very famous dude in the suit. We yes. don't know who it is. It'd be very hot and sweaty in there. But yeah, probably. Those sightings that people have made since then, so bears, brown bears in particular, when they get aggressive, they go back on their back legs right. and they rear up. Um, and if we had a photo here, it would really show you that from a distance, it and looks, given the amount yeah. of adrenaline that's pumping through your veins at the time, panic, Right. you could forgive people going, oh my God, it's Bigfoot. I'm going to run and report it. But they, I guess they could technically just be looking at a bear from really far away as well, because bears do kind of yep. get on their hind legs to try and get food, yep. right? Yep. And it's just like, oh, there's some dude over there. Clearly, it must be a Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah. probably a bear. That's unfortunate. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. It would be kind of fun if we had a whole population of Sasquatches in, in North yeah. America. And yowies. Yeah. Okay. Be cool. So, right. There's yeah. an example of where the fundamental niche comes into play. So, right. environmental variables can help you predict where species are going to uh, exist. I, I get, if I can just jump into that, I guess it could also help you understand how you can create an, an environment that, for conservation of that, of that animal as Absolutely. well, right? Yeah. yeah, okay. So the challenges for, say, bush regeneration. So you imagine some sort of mine site or yeah, sure. urban area or, or something where it, the environment's been cleared or it's been right. drastically altered. And bush regeneration is uh, implemented. So yep. bush regenerators are going in there and planting the trees that sure. were there before and all sorts of things, trying yep. to basically resuscitate the ecosystem there yep. was before. Yep. Now, the complication with doing that is, is what we've just been talking about, is that we know that, as you've pointed out, mm. you know, if you put, um, if you build it, they will come. Right. So yeah, if you yeah. put the right trees and the right shrubs and create sure. the right um, microclimates, yep. then hopefully the species that were there before, the birds, the insects, will come back. Right. Because they like that particular habitat. So it creates some sen a sense of hope as well that, you know, we can recreate things that are useful to the organisms that were once there. The problem and the complexity uh -oh. of this is what we talked about right at the beginning, and that's chance. So right. we've got up on, a, uh, on the screen here that yep. um, you imagine a marble sack with lots of different colored marbles each right. one of those marbles is a different color and different species sure and the chances of that species just making it to a particular habitat fragment yep is as we've already determined dependent on its isolation sure and habitat size 
but it's chance, right? Right. So you can throw the same handful of species at a habitat area. Some will make it, some will, will not. Sure. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So if we okay. did this three times, you'll find that you get to a habitat type right. and you will actually have a different combination of marbles of different color. All right. So we have this marble sack like invention and we shove our hand in and I grab a random bunch of marbles that are different colors and now I just kind of chuck them in a direction yeah and you're so let's say you're aiming for a hoop or a sure or a bucket where you're trying and that's your habitat for yeah and yeah, so yeah you're you're throwing out your marbles out that way and you've got yeah. three buckets shall we say i'm gonna lose my marbles real quick but anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah. well that's a dead joke yeah i know it is it is but you know they, they they're used to it by now in the practicals but go on all right so you're throwing the marbles out yeah. and you've gone blindly in there to pull them out and it's yep. purely by chance and perhaps, you know, how far away those hoops or buckets are or how sure. big they are. It's going to play a big role yep. about whether some marbles are going to get in and some marbles are not. Right. And so you go over to those buckets after you've done that. Yep. And you look in and you'll find that your marbles are of different colours. So sure. to put it in the real world context, this is the role of chance over isolation and how far that bucket is and how big that bucket is, is habitat area. Right. And just chance of things getting to it. Just yes, so in. Those yeah, okay. three communities have a starting population of species that are different purely based on chance right this is it i find this an interesting chat because rarely just you know every time anybody does probability theory in school they're it's like marvelous. when am i ever going to use this again and this is it's like this right now this is where you're going to use it right this second all right so you yeah. start off with a certain number of species in your right. bucket. yeah now Let's say there's something with your bucket that's a particular, you know, it's an environment, right? So right. we'll go back to the habitat fragments. Yeah, yeah, okay. Some of those species are just, they've gotten to that particular habitat, but it's not quite right. Perhaps there's too much light. Not enough water. All sorts of things. Yeah, it could be any kind of environmental component that you need to survive yeah. that's not there. Yeah. So you got there and you're like, oh man, this ha finally got this habitat. It's like, I got nothing to eat. Yeah. And then? So that adds a filtering of those right. species that have gotten to that habitat. So only the ones that are suited to that particular environment, the abiotic environment we're talking about here, some right. fundamentals of temperature, moisture, yep. Yep. Um, you know, not even getting to the biotic interactions yet, sure. just that first pass. So some of those yep. species are just not going to make it because it's not the right habitat for yep. them. Right. Yeah, okay. So now you've got, you know, your three communities, you've randomly put in uh, these marbles, some of them are getting culled out of there because the bucket's just not right for them. Right, right. For whatever reason. Um, and so you have communities uh, that are already initially quite different and yep. getting filtered through this biotic. And now more filter. different as a consequence. Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. But then you've already mentioned, um, you know, food and things like that. Sure. So there's a final right. filtering of this biotic filter. Right. Which is food. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's also in particular competition. Right. What other species are you having to get to that island? Right, right. Right. So maybe you've got two different lizards, green and old, brown and old, and you're on a habitat island and you're competing with each other and you're against your green and old. Sure. the brown and old is better competitive for your food resource. And then you kind of lose out. Yeah, so you lose out. So you make it locally extinct on that yeah, particular yeah, okay. island. So we have these series of filters. And right. at the end of the day, we started off purely by chance, these three habitats, these communities being different, mm -hmm. and these additional filters filtering out those species that just happen to have gotten there. Yeah, okay. Even okay. further to the point that 
when you look at your final communities, the ones that are happy there, they're able to uh, engage with the environment because of the resources and they're you know, able to compete, the traffic levels and all that sort of stuff, you'll find that the communities are very different. Right. Just by chance. Just by chance, yep. but also because of these deterministic factors of right. Right. climate, these abiotic factors, yep. biotic factors as well. Um, all of this interacts, and as you can imagine, it's complex. Sure. What isn't in biology, it seems. Exactly. <laughs> so, but it gives you an understanding about how you can understand right. how communities are formed. Yeah, and why they may look different from one another, even Absolutely. though they're essentially the same base kind Absolutely. of habitat. So, right. you know, this adds the challenge right. if you're a conservation biologist <laughs> and you sure. want to resuscitate an ecosystem that's been sure. affected in some way. You've got, perhaps you could seed with certain plants, yep. create an abiotic environment and biotic environment that's suitable, but there's still that element of chance there that perhaps the community that ultimately right. re resuscitates at the end of it becomes healthy, but it, fundamentally it might actually be quite different from the starting community. So then the right. question is, is that a bad thing? Or Should is it we a be bad doing thing? that? Is it yeah. a good thing? You know, what do you do? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So. I guess to that extent, there has to be some kind of rules that we have to put into place to figure out where an animal, quote unquote, belongs, where, whether we should try and ensure that it, it can survive in all these different habitats. So again, these are these kind of managers of these of these habitats have to kind of think about. Yeah, I, I don't envy them by any yeah, means. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, and you should now have the understanding of the concept to understand yep. why it's a tough job. Um, mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, people put priorities on particular species, these umbrella species like koalas, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and there's yep. a good reason. I mean, they're cute and cuddly, sure, but they also are a, um, they're a, a bioindicator of the health of the ecosystem. Sure. Of all sorts of other different levels in the trophic system as Makes well. Makes sense, yeah, yeah. So if you had koalas in a habitat, then that tells you that... Everything's healthy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. things are surviving okay. But then, you yeah. know, what if there isn't a charismatic species there? You know, what do you sure. focus on? Lizards? Yeah, I know. Spiders? No spiders one cares about no. spiders, that's for sure. No one's going to give a crap. Birds would be yeah. one. Birds are definitely one of the Birds things. and mammals are, yeah. are the kind of the iconic. Yeah, I know. But so many cooler animals than birds and mammals. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, see, 100%. A lot there of diversity out there. They call it the other 99%, which is yep. vertebrates. And that's what, in terms of abundance, but also species richness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So now I want to know, if, I want to bring this a little bit full circle. Yep. So are you able to actually look at some of these abiotic and biotic factors from that, you know, 800 year study that you're doing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, yes, so absolutely. Cool. So one of the interactions that we're looking at, so we've, we're looking at chance, how stuff gets very there, cool. how isolated and how big, but also the interactions among the um, right. species that are there. That are there already. The sure. spiders interacting with other spiders. There's right. a competition between those spiders, but also as we talked about right at the beginning, the predator, yep. um, the big top predator of the lizards, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. Jackie dragons in particular in this scenario, right. we can actually remove those. What happens? And see what happens. But the other thing we can do is we can actually disturb the environment. So we've created these islands and these communities. Sure. They'll be different in composition to some extent. Um, right, right. And then let them settle for a couple of years, which is what we've done. And then we've gone in there and mowed the lawn. 
Right. So you're kind of changing the habitat structure. So at that point. it's a it's a disturbance, and we've removed all the vegetation on the islands themselves. Huh. And so what happens is there's a plummet in species richness. Interesting. And now what we're doing is we're tracking to see whether those same communities come back in the same composition, exactly what we've just been talking about. Wow, right. Force regen scenario. Very cool. So if we look into that marble scenario that you've suggested earlier, just, just earlier, then essentially what that's what you're doing again, right? You're taking these species out and you're essentially throwing marbles again, right? Absolutely. And seeing what comes yeah, back. Absolutely. And you're suggesting, are you suggesting, I guess I should ask, that the same species will come back? We don't know. Yeah, now, okay. the answer to this will be a big outcome because if it is the same. Yeah. And so we know in evolutionary biology that, you know, natural selection creates the same adaptations over and over yep. and again through All things the time. like convergent evolution. Yep. So just because there's chance in a process doesn't mean that you're not going to get the same outcome because right, there's a right. whole heap of other things going on. The abiotic and biotic filters sure. going on here. So we could actually get the same communities returning after disturbance, which would be wonderful news for our ability to then rejuvenate a habitat right, for conservation. That's amazing, yeah. right? Because it just means if we can fix, fix that environment, whatever that involves, then we should get back what used to be there. Yeah. But that's a, is that too hopeful? Well, if the answer is the communities are different, yep. well, that should open up a dialogue with everybody. Sure. And it will be a philosophical dialogue to some degree about, well, a healthy ecosystem mm. that's as species rich, but maybe made up of different sure. individual species, but you've got the same complexity of trophic levels. Right, um, right. You know, I mean, given that chance happens in nature just generally, mm. is it bad? that it's different from what it was like before we cut all the trees down to get the coal out of the ground. Because even though it may be different, it may be just as productive and vibrant, right? Yeah. So it's, that's not necessarily Absolutely. a bad thing. I mean, you know, and then you get to the question as well, we should never have pulled all the coal out of the ground. In the first place. <laughs> yeah, but, I know. You know. We live in the real world. I yeah, mean, resource exactly. extraction is what we do as humans to survive. So mm -hmm. we can't get around to that. We can do yep. sustainable things and so on and so forth. Yep, but Absolutely. We need to sort of think about ecological theory, community ecology, sure, and evolution acting together to actually try and figure out what's going on and make decisions about what to do. I like that. Good. That's that's great because I think you've that's that's a really nice message, Terry. You know, it gives us hope for the future. It yeah. gives all of these young students hope that they can make a difference. Well, it is because there is hope. Yeah. There, oh man, that's no, nice. One. It's you've always got, <laughs> you've always got to be. Positive it's true. It's pessimistic. true. Yeah, yeah. We're just getting to that age where pessimism starts to <laughs> go over optimism. Yeah, yeah, you don't you don't want to think about that age. You enjoy your life now. You're, you're having a good time. That's all that really matters. Awesome, Terry. That's actually I love it. That's fantastic. It's a really nice story. It's we've, I think we've come full circle. And I think it also demonstrates just how much there still is to really discover about this kind of Absolutely, stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you've got, you've had this 800 year research study going on and, you know, it'll be another 800 years. And uh, so you can, students, if you want to come in and, you know, work on this project with Terry, I think uh, he'd love it. There's all sorts of, you know, just because we cover a lot of stuff and it seems like when you first start as a student, that everything's been discovered before. Yeah. It's by no means the case. There Very are true. so many cool yeah. things to get into if you are interested in doing absolutely honors or masters or and some of the best ways is just just jumping in and trying in a really simple kind of volunteering kind of way and see if it's kind of your gig absolutely yeah 
Awesome. Terry, thank you so much for this. And everyone at home uh, or wherever you are, I hope you enjoyed today's kind of podcast lecture. And we'll see you back in class sometime soon. All the best.